represent many things that you may have thought you couldn't do. It was just incredibly exciting. It was such a feeling to, to know that you could actually walk over these coals, something that would paralyze you before, and that you could actually conquer it if you really wanted to. It was like, my God, I can't believe it. I, if I have done this, I can do anything. It just makes you wonder just exactly what human beings can really do. I'm sure that everyone gets something out of it. It may be something small or in many cases it's something very large that turns people around, changes their whole life, and makes them a better person. These people are talking about the Firewalk experience and the seminar they will remember all of their lives. Welcome to Unlimited Power, the new science of personal achievement by Anthony Robbins, another in a series of sound ideas from Simon & Schuster. Anthony Robbins is internationally recognized for his work helping politicians, Olympic athletes, businessmen, and even children reach their peak potential. He is the author of the book Unlimited Power. This program focuses on Anthony Robbins' formula for acquiring the specific patterns of behavior you need to make positive changes in your life. You will hear portions of his well-known seminar, Three Steps to Personal Power. Anthony Robbins will also tell you about his own remarkable life story, how he developed his concept of personal power, and how you can use NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, as a tool to take charge of your life. Tony Robbins, getting a room full of people to walk across 2,000-degree coals is a pretty unusual way to teach a seminar. Tell us, why do you do that? One of the first things I want to make clear is that uh, the Firewalk Seminar, Fear and the Power of the Firewalk Experience, is not designed to teach somebody to walk on fire. That's not the purpose of it. If it was, we would build a fire, and five minutes later, I'd take everybody out to walk. The only difference between someone being able to walk on fire and someone not being able to walk on fire is getting themselves to change their belief systems about what they're capable of doing of what is possible for their life. So we use the firewalk simply as a metaphor. The purpose of the seminar is to teach people a set of very specific skills about how they can break through fears and limitations. Because it's my personal belief that no matter what you want to accomplish or achieve in your life, part of what keeps you from attempting to do those things or really developing a strategy is your own fears, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of rejection, fear of pain, fear of the unknown. And what we do in the seminar is teach people specific skills on how to break through that and develop their own personal power. And now... Let's join that seminar. Here's Anthony Robbins. This is a communication seminar. Ah, tricked you. If I, if I would have said, this is a communication seminar, how many of you would have shown up? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was afraid of, two. <laughs> two instead of 300, okay. The reason it's a communication seminar is because I believe that communication is the key to your life. In fact, you might want to start your notes with the following phrase. This is what the seminar is all about. Write down, the quality of my life is the quality of my communication. The quality of my life is the quality of my personal communication. Here's what I mean by this. In order to have any experience in life and know whether it's good or bad, you have to communicate with who? Yourself. See, the quality of your life is how you communicate to yourself. How many of you ever had a relationship where somebody maybe left you? Anybody had that experience? Anybody here? Now, when that person leaves, you have several ways to communicate to yourself. The quality of your experience will be determined how you communicate about that situation. You might say, I'm not good enough, so they left me. Or you might say, thank God they left, so they made room for somebody who's right for me. <laughs> it all depends on the way you communicate to yourself. 
That'll determine how you feel, how you act, how you behave in your future. So to me, the quality of your life is the quality of your communication. Number one, with whom? Yourself. And number two, with others. Communication with others is what we all want. We want a sense of connectedness. See, how many of you here would really like to make a major difference in the world? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. How many of you would like to lie on the beach and get tan? <laughs> Does that cause a problem sometimes? Right? I guess part of you are working to make a difference in the world, the other part is going, no, I want a tan, right? And you've got this pole in between, right? And it doesn't really assist. How many of you out there would like to uh, like be totally financially independent? Can I see a show of hands? How many of you also feel like sometimes, in order to do that, it seemed like it took away from your sense of appreciation of others or your spirituality? Anybody have that experience ever? See? But do you have to give both those up? No, you can learn how to integrate them. You can have the best of both worlds. How many of you would love to have a totally one-on-one, -on -one committed relationship with someone, totally focused, monogamous? How many like to have something like that? Great. How many of you get attracted to all kinds of people? <laughs> okay. Does, does this create a problem? What's it called? Inner civil war. <laughs> right? And what we want to do is show you how to resolve that because that's where the power is. The power comes when you know how to integrate yourself. So congruency is our goal tonight. And the way in which we're going to help you to become congruent is we're going to share with you some experience, some background on myself, some ideas on NLP, some ideas on personal power. And as we work on that, the portion that you'll be getting of my communication consciously will be the ideas of personal power in my background. That is, if you look at human communication, you'll find out that only 7% of human communication is words. Only 7% is words. See, when someone's talking to you, that's the smallest part, what they're saying with physical words. 38% of human communication is tonality, the tone of voice that a person uses tells you much more than the actual words themselves. See, I knew what meant, when my mother used to say, Anthony, it meant more than my name. <laughs> right? And 55% of communication is physiology. Physiology. Body postures, facial expressions, breathing patterns. That tells us a whole lot more than just the words themselves. I mean, don't comedians use this? Can't you just imagine, a comedian comes up to you, looks you in the eye and goes, you're a son of a bitch. <laughs> and you smile. Why do you smile? Because when he did it, he used a tonality and a big smile and facial expression, so the majority of his communication made you laugh. So tonight we want to link all these together, so that your words, your tonality, and your physiology all work together to give one message to your nervous system and produce the kinds of results that you desire. That's the bottom line. Okay? Let me share with you my background in terms of what's happened in my own personal life. My background is actually um, very simple. I would start out when I was 17 years old on my own. My mom and I had a different idea about how things were supposed to work. And the next thing I knew, I found myself on the street. My good fortune was, before this all occurred in my life, I had attended a seminar by a man named Jim Rohn, who was a personal development speaker. He talked about goals and attitude. And the reason I share with you this background is because the night I was on my own, 
I began to remember some of the ideas I heard in his seminar. And they were very, very simple ideas. But I also realized, and uh, hopefully you do too, listening to this tape, that it doesn't take a lot of ideas to change your life, and it doesn't take a complicated idea to change your life. All it takes is an idea that you're willing to take in and use. And I used two of his ideas, and they were basically, one, that no matter what happens to you in your life, it's not what happens that makes the difference in the quality of your life, but rather what you do with what happens. And the second phrase that stuck out in my mind that really made a difference in my life was I realized that for things to get better for me, I'd have to get better. For things to change in my life, I was going to have to change. I could try and change my mom. I could try and change the world. I could try and change you know, my employer. But none of that was going to change my life like if I worked on me. And so I spent the next uh, six or seven years really looking for ways to develop myself. And I attended every seminar that I could. I read five, six, seven hundred books in the areas of personal development, human development, physiological development. And I applied what I learned in my own life. And I became, quote, unquote, successful. Success in my mind at that time basically meant doing what I wanted, when I wanted, where I wanted, with whomever I wanted, as much as I wanted. Having that total sense of freedom, that to me was success. And I had that. And then I got to a point where all of a sudden I got very uncomfortable with my success. And I began to sabotage it. My good fortune was that I finally came to a point where I felt like I was, I'd hit bottom. And that's really fortunate because some people never feel like they hit bottom so they continue to go deeper. <laughs> My experience was that I thought, hey, this is the worst things can be. I was totally broke. I'd wiped out my company, and I'd wiped out myself emotionally, and I weighed about 38 pounds heavier than I do today. And I'm embarrassed, and I laugh about it now, but that's where I was, and I fortunately broke out of that. And what broke me out was just the reality of realizing I was more than what I was living, and I deserved to contribute more to other people than I was contributing at that time. Having basically crashed in my own personal level of success, I began to look for what would be the foundational key to success. And so in my search, the answer I came up with was knowledge. I figured people who succeed certainly know things that people who fail to succeed don't know, and that must be the major key that sets them apart. However, as I began to look around at life, I found a lot of people that knew all the answers but still weren't applying what they knew. I was one of the people that fell into that category. So I realized knowledge was not enough, and I came up with what I consider to be the one foundational key to all success, and I call that personal power. Personal power. And next to the words personal power, write down what it means. Personal power means the ability to act, the ability to take action. That's really what separates people, the ability to take action. See, how many of you have ever had an idea for a little gadget, a little device, a little something you thought the whole world would probably buy or use? How many have had an idea for something like that? Look at this, three quarters of the room. How many of you same people walked in a store six months later and found your idea was stolen? There it was on the shelf. <laughs> right? Almost all of us have had that experience. Now, what was the difference between you and that other person? Was the difference talent? Was the difference intelligence? No, the difference was action. The difference was personal power. When I looked around at people in this culture who succeed on a really massive scale, on a large scale, the thing that became apparent right away as I began to look at it is they all had the ability to take action. They had the ability to use what they knew. Many of them didn't have a lot of talent, did not have a lot of skill, and yet they used what they did have and they produced outstanding results. That's really what separated them. I mean, have you ever heard of a guy named Colonel Sanders, for example? Yeah. Colonel Sanders became a super success and changed the eating habits of this country. Why? Because he started out when he was young because he had lots of capital, because he had lots of marketing education. Is that how he did it? No. Were any of those true? 
No, none of them were. Colonel Sanders started when he was how old? 65 years old. At age 65 years old, he got his first Social Security check, and it was for $99. And the bottom line is, he said, I'm going to change this. Now, what resources did he have? Well, he had one thing. He had a chicken recipe that a lot of people liked. That was it. Nothing more. But he also had something called personal what? Power. He took the idea, and he did something with it. So what he did is he immediately went out and started talking to people. He hit the streets, and he walked in the first place, and he went, Hello, my name is Colonel Sanders. I got the best chicken recipe in the whole world. My chicken recipe is better than anything you've ever tasted in your whole life. And you know what? I don't even want any money for it. All I want to do is give it to you. And then all I want you to do is to pay me a percentage of the profit that you make on every piece of chicken you ever sell for the rest of your life. Now, what do you think this guy said? Oh, boy, I've been waiting for a fat guy like you with a white beard and a white suit to come in and sell me his chicken recipe. You think that's what he said? No, he said, excuse me, sir, but your brain is fried. (laughs) What do you think you are, Santa Claus in the summer in his big fat white suit? What do you think I am, somebody stupid? I'm going to get a percentage of my profit. I got my own recipe. Get the heck out of here. Now, a lot of people would have quit there. But Colonel Sanders had a thing called personal what? Power. So he went to the next person. And guess what? They threw him out too. Guess how many no's Colonel Sanders got before he got his first yes? 1,009 no's before he got his first yes. 1,009. How many of you, after about 500 no's, would say, I better check my recipe? <laughs> right? How many of you, after 1,000 no's, can honestly say you would have still kept on knocking on doors? Let me see a show of hands. Two people, three people. That's why there aren't many Colonel Sanders in the world, I guess. See, Colonel Sanders understood what it takes to succeed. What it takes is you must try until. You must get yourself to take action until you succeed. See, we teach our kids that. Kids try something that doesn't work. They come to you and go, oh, this won't work. What do you tell your kid? Try again. What if they come back and say, oh, it still doesn't work? What do you say? Try again. And they come back and say, oh, it still won't work. What do you say? Try again. Now, is that what we do as adults? No, we go try something, we don't succeed. If we try again, we make sure nobody knows about it. (laughs) Because we don't want them to know that we failed, right? I mean, how long do you give your average baby to learn how to walk? How long do you give your average baby to learn how to walk before you shut them off and don't let them try anymore? (laughs) You go, what are you crazy? My baby's going to keep trying until he or she walks. You go, ah, magic formula. No wonder almost everybody in the whole world walks. Right? The bottom line is that they try until. So that's personal power. That's what sets people apart. How many of you have ever had an experience in your life where you saw somebody and they seemed to have more success than you and you said to yourself, I know I'm more intelligent than they are. How come they're succeeding on a higher scale? How many have had that experience? Hey, you know why? It doesn't matter how much intelligence you have. What matters is how much action you can produce. See, a lot of people teach to just affirm everything and it'll change. That's not how it works. Affirmation without discipline is the beginning of delusion. Affirmation with discipline creates miracles. You must have both affirmation with discipline to produce results. You've got to make sure that behind your faith there are some works. Otherwise, your faith will produce nothing. So then the obvious question that comes up is, how come everybody doesn't take action? Right? Isn't that the next question? Well, the reason is that there are three elements that cause people to succeed. There are three steps to personal power that are necessary to produce the results. And here's number one step to personal power. It's called energy. Energy. 
See, how many of you can remember a time in your life, a day when you woke up feeling really lousy? How many can remember a day like that? For some of you, it was recent. <laughs> now, when you wake up feeling like really lethargic, really lousy, do you usually jump up and go, God, I can't wait to go out and make the world work, help as many people as I can, and make the whole world the way it should be? Is that usually what you do when you wake up feeling lousy? No, what do you do? You drag yourself out of bed and you go, oh, God, not another Monday. Right? See, it takes energy to do anything that you want to do in your life. And if all you can do is barely make it through the day, you're probably not going to be trying to figure out how to make your life work in every way possible. So energy is the critical key. Now, is energy all you need to succeed? <laughs> no. So that's only step one to personal power. So the bottom line is you can get all excited about changing things. You can get all excited about making your life work, but that's not enough by itself. You need more than excitement to produce results. You can be excited about lifting a thousand pounds until you get to the gym. And then you need more than excitement, don't you? So you need the second key to personal power. The second key, jot it down. The second key is a thing called skill. Skill. So there are two kinds of skills that I think it's imperative for human beings to have for themselves. Two kinds of skills it's important to master. And let's have you jot them down. Here we go. Skill number one. The skill or the ability to specifically define exactly what it is that you want. See, when you ask most people, what do you want, what do they say? I don't know. You've got to know what it is that you want specifically. So that's skill number one. Skill number two, the skill or the ability to specifically define exactly what others want and then to fill others' needs quickly and elegantly. What I've discovered in my life, at least, is that if you can find what other people want and you can fill their needs truly, then there will be no problem with you being able to fill your wants, your desires, your needs. That's just the way it is. Now, the most powerful tools that I know of for defining human needs and being able to fill those needs quickly and elegantly come from the technology known as neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming. N-E-U-R-O, linguistic programming. <coughs> Neuro stands for the nervous system. Linguistic stands for language. Programming is a system that you install to consistently produce a result. Neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, is the science of how language, both verbal and nonverbal, affects your nervous system. Your ability to do anything from walk on fire to make a million dollars all comes from your ability to manipulate your nervous system. The more effective you are at this, the more effective you are at producing any result in your life. NLP was basically the result then of two men who were studying how to most effectively master the use of human communication to produce results in other human beings. The two men who started were Dr. John Grinder and Richard Bandler. Grinder was a linguist. Bandler was a gestalt therapist and a computer expert. And what these two men had in common was that they were bored with what they were doing and they wanted to produce greater results in the world. They were both geniuses in their own fields. And what they decided to do was to study people and find out what made them the very best at what they did. What did they do with the way they used language? What did they do with the way they looked at people, the way they moved their bodies, the way they touched people that made them magicians in their field, that made them the best? And in beginning to study that, they began to develop these patterns. They called patterns of excellence. And they called them NLP initially. And I became one of their students. And I began to apply what I'd learned and produce pretty outstanding results. I began to take people who were living on the street, a man eating out of a trash can, 
And an hour later, after 13 years on the street, after having heroin put in his arm when he was eight and a half years old by his father, this man was off drugs and still is today. I started to produce those kinds of results in less than an hour. And I began to really apply it. Anybody I could, I said, I don't care what it is, what the problem is. And I began to develop a reputation from that as a one-stop therapist. And then I wanted to spread it to more people, like all people do when they learn something new that they can use to affect themselves and others in a more positive way. So I thought, hey, anything that any human being can do, so can I. We all share the same neurology, right? We all have the same nervous system. It's a matter of how to use it. I mean, how many of you believe you, you use less than 10% of your brain? How many of you believe that? Yeah, in fact, most people brag about it, don't they? They go, yeah, man, I use less than 10% of my brain. <laughs> if I were you, I'd keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I wouldn't be sharing that kind of information. I'd be trying to figure out how to use more. And the bottom line is I thought, you know what? Other human beings can do something, and so can I. I just got to learn how to run my brain in the same way. And when I learned NLP, I found out that was really true. I should clarify modeling, because modeling is the key to duplicating any form of human excellence. So why don't I give you three keys to duplicating any form of human excellence, whether it be business, personal, emotional, anything else. See, I don't believe in talent in the traditional sense of what most people think of as talent. I don't believe in it as being something just genetic, that's just there. I believe that talents are developed. Now, I know that there are certain people that are born with genetic advantages. I also know that there are people that don't have genetic advantages who are able to produce outstanding results by using their brains in similar ways. So I'd like to give you the three keys to duplicating any form of excellence. Here's how you model success. Number one, you model or duplicate the belief systems of the person who is successful. If someone is successful at something, the first thing you must do to be able to produce the same kind of results is duplicate their beliefs. Now, I know that sounds very simple, and it is simple. It's also very powerful. Beliefs are the filter that turn on or shut off our ability to produce any results in life. See, when you say, I can't do something, you're absolutely right. Because you shut off that part of your brain that can do it. You give yourself an embedded command. Remember, whether you say you can do something or whether you say you can't, you're right. Because when you say you can't, you program that. When you say you can, you open up the possibilities in your nervous system. So that's number one, duplicating beliefs. Here's number two. You must duplicate that person's mental syntax. You must duplicate the person's mental syntax. Now, syntax sounds like a complicated word, but it's actually very simple. Let me give you an example of syntax. If I say to you, the dog bit Johnny, you all know what that means. What if I say, Johnny bit the dog? Okay, yes, you got it. <laughs> okay. Now, it doesn't have the same meaning, does it? Now, did I add or subtract words? No. All I did was change the order and sequence, also known as the what? Syntax. Syntax is order and sequence. And when we change the order and sequence of things, we change their meaning. Okay? That's critical. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by mental syntax. We all have five senses. And the order in which we use these five senses determines what part of our brain and nervous system we use and the kinds of results we generate. For example, some people, in order to produce a result, see things, and then they say something to themselves, and that gives them a feeling. Other people try and get a feeling, and then see things and say things to themselves. It depends on the situation. But I want you to know the order is like a combination lock to the brain. And if you use one order, you're going to get one vault open. And if you use a different order, you're going to get a different vault open. So you've got to know how to use your brain, and syntax makes a difference. 
Now, how do we discover somebody's syntax? Well, one way is to watch their eyes. Because what Bandler and Grinder, the founders of NLP, discovered was that when you are visualizing, for example, you look in a certain place. When you're having deep feelings, you look somewhere else. When you're talking to yourself, you look somewhere else. When you're remembering things, you look to one side of your face. When you're making things up or creating things or constructing things, you look to another side. Now, this is not like body language. Body language make you believe that if someone is doing this, it means they're what? Closed. How many of you have ever done this when you weren't closed? How many have done that? So that's not science. These eye movements are science because in order to use those portions of your brain, your eyes have to move in those positions. It's a fact to access that part of your brain. Okay? Here's the third key to duplicating any form of human excellence. You must duplicate a person's physiology. Their physiology. Physiology is posture, breathing patterns, tonality, facial expressions, muscular tension or relaxation. Physiology will determine how people use their brains. It is absolutely phenomenal. You can take 10, 20, 30, 40 years of learning away by assuming someone's physiology, beliefs, and mental syntax. Oftentimes, you can learn something for 20 years in a day, or a month, or a week, or at least half the time it took them. Depends on the situation and how complex it is. But it's amazing what can occur. So my challenge to you is that after this weekend, I want you to become a modeler. That is someone who, when you see something outstanding, something excellent, instead of going, wow, they're so lucky, they're so great, instead of doing that, you go, wow, they're great, and if I want that, I can duplicate the same results if I first discover their what? Their beliefs, number two there, and number three there, physiology. That's a fact. In our seminars, we don't tell people what the third key to personal power is until after the seminar is complete. And that's because the third key is called turning fear into power. Uh, they have an experience of doing that, and usually by the end of the evening I can ask them what the third key is and they can tell me. Um, the, once you know that you have the energy to do whatever it takes, and you know what you want, and you know what other people's needs are, and what your own needs are, and how to fill those needs in an effective and elegant way, then the only thing that can really keep you from achieving is just your own fears. And the ability to break through those fears and produce new results is what really allows you to tap into your full personal power. Let's go to the seven disciplines of success. Here they are quickly. These are the seven agreements we need to make together to really produce the quality of result and the quality of life that we all desire. Here's number one. Write down, I always act from personal power. I always act from personal power. Personal power means you have the ability to take what? Action. That's right. The ability to take action. Now, this is critical. What prevents people from being able to operate from their personal power? What prevents people from taking action? What's the primary source of prevention? That's right, fear. And the biggest fear that I've found, no matter what culture, no matter what person I've dealt with around the world, is the fear of failure. So what I'd like to do is have us agree to discipline our thinking in a new way. And the new thought process, what I mean when I say I always act from personal powers, I mean simply this. Write down, I realize, this is still part of number one, I realize that there are no failures, there are only results. There are no failures, there are only outcomes. That's another word you might just want to use, outcomes. See, if you think about it, how many of you here always get your goal? Raise your hand, always. <laughs> one lady. How many of you always get a result, though? Maybe not the one you intended, but it is a result. <laughs> 
So the truth is you never fail in life. You always succeed. And write that down. I always succeed in producing a result. Now, it may not be the one you intend, but that's okay. Because you can learn how you produce the result, and you can make a subtle change and produce a new result. People who succeed around the world, out of the hundreds of people, very, very successful people that I've had the good fortune to model, the number one thing that stands out in their belief systems, that empowers them to take action consistently, is they do not believe in failure. They know there's no failures, there are only outcomes. There are no failures, there are only results. And they understand it clearly. And that's what guides them to continually take the action that allows them to eventually produce the kinds of magic, the kinds of outstanding results that most people only hope to produce, and they actually manifest on a daily basis in their life. The bottom line is, how many of you feel real great about failing? <laughs> how many of you feel really great about learning? Let me see a show of hands. Yeah. So the way in which you're going to succeed from now on is you're going to realize that there are no failures because you learn from every experience. You succeed by learning from every human experience. I mean, what's the advantage you have today over yesterday? Is it not the experience you've taken on, the learning you've had? So whether or not you got what you went for, whether or not you got your outcome and the one you intended makes very little difference as long as you learn from it and then immediately change your approach because you can still produce the result that you want. Federal Express, ever heard of the little company? They're here today because Fred Smith, the founder of Federal Express, did not believe in failure. He knew that everything was just an outcome. It was simply a result. When he went to, I think it was Yale University that he went to, he went to the business school there, and he came up with this idea for Federal Express. Well, you know, here's the best business minds in the country. You know what they gave him? A C-minus on his report. They said it was an absurd idea. It was ridiculous. No one would ever pay for overnight packages like that when they could use the U.S. mail. Right? Now, he, fortunately for him, is he didn't look at that as failure. He looked at that as a result and decided he was going to still go for it. He took all the money he had and he invested it in this company. On the first day of business, Federal Express planned to deliver 167 packages. They delivered seven, five of which they sent to themselves by themselves. So there were only two public customers out of that first batch. And he's got tremendous amounts of money on the line. We're talking about airplanes, right? We're talking about shipping services. Now, most people said, hey, buddy, you better watch out. You better change. You better do something. And his approach was, that's excellent. We figured out how to send two packages effectively. Now we just have to enhance the numbers. And he did not look at it as failure. Can you imagine Federal Express? It's now a billion-dollar-a-year corporation. Why? Because Fred Smith understood clearly that there are no failures, there are only outcomes. If we change our approach, we can make it the way we want it. I can guarantee you most of the people in those days never could imagine that it could be a billion-dollar company, but Fred Smith knew if he kept changing his approach, if he didn't store it as failure, he could produce any result that he wanted. And by the way, people who know there's no such thing as failure get paid very well. Very well. Because they can do things that other people can't do. You know, Fred Smith now makes about $50 million a year in personal income. Now, you can't live on that, but it's a good start. <laughs> See, so if you want to get paid well, you've got to learn how to operate from personal power, which means there's no failures, there are only outcomes. Number two, Write down, I am totally responsible for my world, or I create my world. How do you feel when I say the word responsible? How many of you like that word? It feels really light. <laughs> Only a few. So what I might want to do is give you another word. How about instead of responsibility, how about taking charge? How many of you like that word, taking charge? Look at this. Now notice they can mean the same thing. For me, being responsible means I get to take charge of my life. Because see, if I'm not responsible, then what happens is somebody else is in charge of my life. And there is a belief system in this world that many people share, and that belief is this. 
that no matter what happens to you in your life, you created it on some level. You're responsible for it. If it isn't there as a result of your physical actions, it's there as a result of your mental actions. That thoughts are things that as you think, so you become, so you attract, so you manifest. Now, how many of you already have that belief system? You believe you create your world? Great. For those of you who don't, let me just tell you a reason why you might want to believe in it. I don't know that it's true, by the way. I'm not going to tell you anything this weekend is absolutely true. Because you know what I found out? They're just my beliefs. And I can get lots of people to believe the way I do, and I can make myself feel like that's how it is. But the truth is, none of us know how life really is, not on an esoteric level. So oftentimes, you'll hear me in this weekend use the word lie. And when I say, I want to tell you a lie, what I'm talking about is I want to tell you a belief that I hold, but I'm also smart enough to know that by saying the word lie, I keep myself open to the fact that it's just my belief system, and it could be another way. So whenever I talk about beliefs this weekend, I'll talk about lying. And I won't be talking about being dishonest or deceitful. I'll be using that as a phrase to jolt your nervous system so that you remember that these are just belief systems. However, they aren't necessarily true. But here's why you might want to adopt this belief system. By thinking of the alternative, it'll become clear to you why you want to adopt it. See, if you're not responsible for your world, if you're not the one who creates your every experience of life, then when you have a problem, then you've got a real problem. Because if you didn't create it, who did? And if you didn't create it, you have no power to change it. However, on the other side, if you're not a creature of circumstance, if you believe whatever's happened, you generated it on some level, then if you don't like how it is, you can do what? Change it. So the point is not to make you so you feel responsible. The point is to empower you so that if you don't like how things are, you know you can change them. That's what it's really all about. Number three. Write down, I am always stretching. Stretching means if you can't, you what? If you can't, you must. God, if there's any one principle that I would instill in you, it would be the consistent habit of stretching yourself. There are a few things you can do that can make you grow more as a human being. If you ask me, Tony, you know, I know you have a certain level of skill. How did you develop that truly? You know, were they just gifts? Was it like tremendous amount of study? I would say it was neither of those two things. You know what it was? It was my willingness to stretch myself on a consistent basis. Put myself on the line. Because you know what's neat about human beings? When they put themselves on the line, they come through. Human beings discover that they're much more than they believe they are when they have to perform. Right? Do you ever notice how a deadline can affect you? Right? How many of you did your term papers in high school or college like on the last evening? <laughs> and sometimes we do our best work under that kind of pressure. Some of us, some of us not. But the point is stretching is a way to make sure you have that kind of development that you discover you can do things you didn't believe you could do. See, the firewalk's a stretch, isn't it? It gets you to do something. Wow, you go, hey, I can do that. And you go, if I can do that, what else can I do that I used to think I couldn't do? What other impossible tasks are really possible? And the only limits were my thinking. So let me give you the keys to stretching. There are a few keys here to stretching. Number one, first key to stretching yourself and using this powerful tool is you must make a commitment to yourself to do something that seems to be beyond your present ability. Now, making a commitment to yourself is nice, but that's not enough. So the second thing you must do is make a public commitment, a public declaration. And it's excellent if you can make this declaration to the kind of person who will not let you off the hook. The kind of person will come back and go, how are you doing today, Mary? Oh, how are you doing on that goal of yours? You know the kind of person that if you fail, they'll let every human being know? <laughs> That's the perfect person to make the declaration with. Then you know you have no way to go back. 
public declarations, public commitments to key people can make a huge difference in causing you to do whatever it takes to succeed. Okay? So that's number two. So you make a commitment to yourself, a commitment that's public. Now here's the third key. The third key is ideally, if it's possible, model someone who is already producing the result. That is, find out what actions they're taking to produce this result that seems to be beyond your present ability. Model them. So that's the third key. You must model someone so you know what to do. And here's the fourth key and the final key. So now you've made the commitment. you made a public declaration. You know what to do. The fourth thing is you must do it. Follow the model. And when you don't know what to do, act as if you do. You say, well, I don't know what to do. So what you say to yourself, well, is if I did know, then I'd do this. You can just ask yourself. If you start saying, well, I don't know what I do, then just say, well, if I did know, what would I do? Well, then if I did know, I'd do this. And what it does is it takes away the limiting belief and allows you to get access to the resources you really have as an incredible human being. Okay? So take action, follow the steps of your model, and act as if whenever you don't know what to do. Stretching can be one of the most powerful tools for your life. Here's number four. Write down. I am committed to unconscious competence. I am committed to unconscious competence rather than cognitive understanding. Do you understand the difference between the two? Unconscious competence is when you don't have to think about things and they just flow and you just produce the result. You don't even have to understand it all. Cognitive understanding is when you understand all the details and you understand why things work and so forth. But here's my point. How many of you know everything about electricity? You know everything about it can describe it in detail. Not a person in this room. How many of you, though, are willing to flip the switch and get the light? <laughs> okay. You don't go, well, I don't understand how that electricity stuff works, so I can't turn that switch on. So what I want you to do is operate from the same frame this weekend. And that is you don't have to understand everything about NLP and the human nervous system to be able to flip the switch and produce the result. And I want you to just flip switches. I mean, some people are like into studying roots. Other people just like to pick the fruit. Okay? And I encourage you this weekend to pick the fruit and study the roots later. That way you get the nourishment now. You get the enjoyment now. And if you want to study the roots, you have that choice too. Number one is I always act from personal power. Number two is I take full responsibility. I take charge of my life. Number three is I'm always stretching. And number four is I'm committed to unconscious competence. Number five is I always act from personal integrity. I always act from personal integrity. Now, the word integrity is probably one of the most abused words in the English language. The reason is it's become the new seminar word. It's become the new word to use to try and express the fact that you're a good person. It's a word that also has been abused because people are promoting associations of the word which are inaccurate. For example, what happens is a lot of people have gone through courses where they've linked up the word integrity to one specific set of beliefs about how to operate in your world. And what they then go out and do is try and impose those beliefs on everybody else. And if other people don't match their beliefs about their values, about certain things, then they go, you're out of integrity. What does the word integrity actually mean? Wholeness. It means wholeness. That's what integrity means, wholeness. The truth of the matter is, if you want to link integrity to personal values, then what you have to realize is to know if somebody's in their integrity, you have to know if they're being whole or being true to themselves. See, if somebody has a set of values and they're different than yours, and they follow their values, you can't say you're out of integrity. You might say, your integrity is different than mine. I mean, there's a good phrase that's good to remember in human conflict, and that is, no matter how thin you slice it, there's always two sides. <laughs> Spinoza said that. Write down, 
I always lie with integrity. I always lie with integrity. Remember, does lie mean you're being, in the context that I'm using it here, am I talking about misleading someone? Am I talking about lying to someone in the, the general terms of that? Am I talking about being dishonest? No, what's the purpose of lie? What are we using it for? To remind ourselves that our beliefs are only whose beliefs? Our own. And they may be inaccurate, even though we believe them to be true. And by saying lie, we're reminding ourselves that these are just beliefs. They're not written in stone, and someday we may change them if we find something else is bigger or better or empowers us and others in a better way. So lying with integrity is remember your beliefs are just your own and keep your beliefs. As long as you believe they're true, make sure your daily actions match your belief systems. Number six, the meaning of communication is the response that you get. Here's what I mean by this. A lot of people have been taught that if you communicate to somebody and they don't get your communication, that that's their stuff. In other words, I come along here, you know, and I come up to Joel, and I go, Joel, I love you, <laughs> okay? And I put a size 16 in his face, okay? And he gets all upset. Now, what some people have taught is, I go, Joel, that's all your stuff. I intended for you to feel loved by that. You didn't feel loved. That's all your junk. Now, you can imagine the amount of rapport that that builds. You know, doesn't that really enhance the relationship, right? But that's how some people have been taught. My teaching to you is this. The meaning of communication is the response you get. So if I come and say, Joel, I love you, and he gets upset, instead of going, that's all your stuff, Joel, I can't even believe this stuff, what I know is that that's the meaning of my physiology, this tonality, and that word to him. Even though that may not be my intention, that's what it means to him. So if I don't like the result I'm producing in him, then I need to do what? Change. Because I know the meaning of the communication's response I get. So that means anger to him. Love means anger to him. So I just need to change my approach. See, that's a simple thing. I don't just go, well, that's his fault. I'm just going to keep telling him I love him until he gets it. I mean, that's insane. He'll never get it that way. You've got to change how you say love or how you look at him or how you move or how you use your size 16, whatever it is, right, so that it affects it. Now, I know that a lot of us have been taught, well, he should own his experience. He should be responsible for how he feels. But that's an intellectual construct. That's not how the world is, is it? The world is in a stimulus response. I mean, if you come up and put a size 16 in somebody's face, most people then don't usually go, okay, now I can choose how to feel about this. So now that he's splat my face open, I can choose to feel it like as if it's a tingling sensation that empowers me to be a better human being. I mean, you know, that's, that could be a conscious approach, but how many people do that? So the best study of life is how it is. And how it is is if you use certain words, certain words are much more intense Certain tonalities are much more intense. Certain physiologies are much more intense than a size 16 in the face, aren't they? How many of you got a word? If somebody uses that word with you, man, you're... How many of you got that except one of those words? How many of you got a certain tonality? Somebody says, oh, that's great. You're just like... How many of you got one of those? How many of you got a certain facial expression? If somebody gives you that look, boy, you've had it. So the truth is, it's not always a physical thing, right? Sometimes it's a word. So instead of going, that's their stuff, just realize that's a trigger and change your approach. Because what you want to be is committed to your outcome. See, you want to be committed to producing results in your communication that work, not about making somebody wrong because they have different associations to that physiology or that word. It's that simple. So you just keep changing your approach. What if I try it again and I say, Joel, I just really care about you. I just want you to know that. You know, I'm sorry you're upset by the word love or how I expressed it, but I want you to know that I care. Now, what if that doesn't work and he's still angry? Then what do I do? Try something else. What if that doesn't work? Then what do I do? Change something else. I keep changing until we get communication that works. See, a lot of people tell you that intention means everything. That's a joke. 
right? Write this down. Intention means nothing. <laughs> All intention does is provide a direction. Results mean everything. So remember, the meaning of communication is the response you get. Even if it means something else to you, know what result you get in the person in front of you is the real meaning for them. And if you want them to get your communication, change your approach. Okay? Last one. I am committed to do W-E-I-T. What does it stand for? I'm committed to do whatever it takes to succeed. One caveat, whatever it takes without harming another person. Commitment to me is like the glue that holds all the rest of these agreements together. Commitment is the most powerful tool that you have as a human being. That's why when I talked about stretching, I talked about making commitment to yourself and then making a public commitment. Because people do tremendous things to keep consistent with what they've made as a public commitment. And one of the commitments you've got to make is the commitment to practice, to actually walk your talk, to live this stuff. Because the reality with all the programming and everything else, to really master this, you want to practice it on a daily basis. That's how people get good. So what I want you to realize is the power commitment has. Even if you're afraid of failing, but you're committed to operating from personal power, you're committed to realizing there are no failures, only outcomes. The commitment is what will pull you through, even though you've got the fear. You understand what I'm saying? If you're committed to stretching yourself, then you will. If you're not, it won't happen. The difference in people is the difference between people who are interested and people who are committed. See, some people say, well, I'd really like to do that. Or they say, I really want that. But what they really mean is I'm interested in that. I'm not committed to it. Because once you become committed to something, you will produce that result. That's the bottom line. So the key to success in life is to go from interest to commitment. Once you're at a level of commitment, it happens. So what can you do now? Uh, you listen to 50 minutes of conversation and lists and ideas. And unfortunately, in the short period of time, there aren't a lot of specifics that can be provided of what to do. But let me give you a list of, of a few things. Another group of seven, I like numbers, <laughs> another group of seven things you might want to look at in your life that could help you to immediately make changes. These are seven things that in my modeling of super successful people, people who have really succeeded both on a cultural level and on a personal level, seven character traits that I see that they have have in common, uh, whether they be a Bruce Springsteen or a Spielberg, you know, a Martin Luther King, a John F. Kennedy, Ted Turner, Tina Turner. These are the things I think they have in common. So let me give them to you. One, they all seem to have a passion. They've got a reason, a consuming, you know, energizing, almost obsessive purpose for what they do. It drives them. It gets them up in the morning and it causes them to not to want to go to bed at night. It really gives their life juice and meaning. And if I were you, the first thing I'd look at is what could I get passionate about in my life right now? Because passion will cause you to take action. The second thing that they all seem to have is belief. They all seem to have supportive belief systems. They believe in their ability to achieve. And right now, by yourself, you already have ways to look at your life differently and to change your beliefs. You might start by the end of this tape and just sit down and write down what you could be passionate about and what beliefs you want to change, what beliefs would be useful for you to change. The third thing you want to look at, I think, is your strategies. People who succeed have a strategy for success. They don't just have a passion and a belief, but they also have organized the way they do things to produce results. You know, you look at a Ronald Reagan, and what sets him apart is not just his passion and his belief, but he's developed a way of communicating that allows him to positively affect large numbers of people and makes him very persuasive, very effective. For many of these people, it's unconscious. They're not aware of it, but they have developed their niche, a way of approaching the use of their skills that consistently produces the results they desire. The fourth thing to look at are your values. 
when people are not succeeding at the scale they'd like to, one of the things that I normally find in talking with them is they're not really clear about what's most important in their lives. That is, they may even have conflicts. Part of them wants, as I said earlier in this tape, to you know be on the beach, and part of them wants to make a difference in the world, and they haven't discovered a way to balance their values so that all of them is being developed, so that all of them is working together, so there's no internal battles going on. So a look at your values and a look at the ways in which you could have your values working together rather than fighting each other could be a valuable thing that you could do immediately at the end of this tape to take a new direction in your life now. The fifth thing that I would look at would just be your energy level. You already know things that you could do to increase your energy. One, of course, is to change some of your dietary patterns. Most people don't realize it, but one of the things that drains more energy from your body than anything else is digestion. Learning how to eat what you eat in a way to maximize your energy level could make a major change in the quality of your life. So look at that. How could you maximize and get more out of your own personal energy? And then, of course, sixth, bonding power. In order to really be happy in our lives, most people, even if they have a passion and a belief and they've got a strategy and they know what's important and they're going for it and they're really starting to succeed, these people still are not happy unless they feel connected to others. I know in my life, the only time I've been the happiest is when I felt like what I was doing was connected with others. If you get to the top of Success Mountain by yourself, I'm here to tell you, you'll probably jump off. The way to make sure you're happy is to have that sense of connection with others. The seventh character trait that I believe really will cause you to make a major change in your life right away is the character trait of really developing your communication skills. Uh, once again, at the beginning of this tape, we talked about the quality of your life is the quality of your communication with both yourself and with others. Remember, it's not what happens that makes a difference, but rather how we communicate to ourselves what's happened that makes the difference. So these are the fundamental character traits that I leave you with as your homework, the seven tools that you can go to work on immediately to create new results for your life now. You've been listening to another in a series of Sound Ideas presentations from Simon & Schuster. The executive producer was Malou Zahner, with coordinating producer Suzanne Rosencrantz. Field recording by Jim Anderson, and production assistance by Debbie Dane. Unlimited Power, the new science of personal achievement, was produced by Lynn Cruz. For a complete listing of other Simon & Schuster audio programs, please write to us at the address printed on the package. Also available from Simon & Schuster Audio, Anthony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within, Giant Steps, and Unlimited Power, A Black Choice.